0: Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kalecki.
0: And today, we're talking about Outer Wilds, developed by Mobius Digital and published by Annapurna Interactive. It was released for Windows, Xbox One, and PS4 in 2019. And big spoiler warning today, uh, this <laughs> is a game that is very easy to spoil and we will be spoiling the crap out of it, so be warned.
1: So last year, me and my wife, Juliana, uh, we did a travel nursing stint in Boston, Massachusetts. And while we were there, I got involved in the local game developer community over there. And I'm still part of that today. Um, One of the things, you know, we like to talk about making games. We like to talk about playing games too. And I kept hearing Outer Wilds this, Outer Wilds that. And eventually I said, you know, I've heard enough about this from... Game developers that I respect, that I've got to check it out myself. So I brought Brian along for the ride, and here we are tonight.
0: That's right. It only took you like eight months to do it. So good, good <laughs> on you. That that that's actually pretty remarkable turnaround, considering all the stuff you've gone through in that in that time frame, having a kid, and you know settling down uh, in in Cleveland and all that good stuff. So.
1: Yeah, it's been a busy yeah. eight months. <laughs> busy
0: times, busy times. But um yeah, this is uh, honestly like it's a towering achievement in indie games as as far as um as I, as far as I'm concerned. Uh Mobius Digital Games is basically it was started um due to uh, the largesse of uh, Masioka from Heroes Fame. Basically the time traveling ninja guy from Heroes uh, has a he was a former I guess a former digital artist and then parlayed that into acting and then parlayed that into now being a producer of video games. So remarkable human being Masioka.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard he brought a lot of kind of improv comedy experience to the game development team. Um, and I think this plays into one important way that he designed this game later on that I'm sure we'll get into.
0: Totally. But it's worth mentioning sort of the, uh, the origins of this game before we, we get more into it, because I think it is a super interesting origin story. Basically starting out as a student project by uh, designer Alex Beecham and some of his fellow students at both uh, USC and other game development programs. Uh, he partnered with Lone Verneau, another one of the major designers, and basically it started off as a master's thesis and they ended up getting funding from Annapurna to take a commercial. And um, this, it's a, just sort of a really interesting story. You know, they they went to IGF, won the Seamus McNally Grand Prize back in 2015, and then they were like, we really got something on our hands here. And that's <laughs> why Annapurna Anna stepped in.
1: Mm-hmm. Annapurna stepped in and helped fund the rest of their development cycle, uh, and they released uh, 2019 and... What a game.
0: It had an interesting sort of commercial history, too, because this is one of the first Epic exclusives that I remember there being. And Hmm. I remember uh, there being a big backlash to Epic exclusives at the time because, you know, Steam was kind of the only game in town as far as PC games go. And then someone coming in and trying to fracture the market was seen as um, some people didn't like it. Let's just put it that way. It's strange to think of this as an issue now, given that it eventually did release on Steam and You know, I guess if you were real interested in playing this on the day it came out and you were a Steam, you know, aficionado, this may have rubbed you the wrong way. But um, I don't know, I I never really worried too much about all that. So um, strange to think of this for me now.
1: I think part of that might be because PC gamers kind of have a history and culture of looking down on the console players and the console exclusives and the different... Uh, council wars that go on. PC guys are just like, hey, yeah, you can do whatever you want. I'm playing some Flash game right now. Uh, so (laughs) the Epic exclusives kind of rubbed people some wrong the wrong way, I think, because they thought it was becoming like Sony versus Microsoft.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that, like, Epic was the first of these third-party marketplaces to not just simultaneously launch on Steam. I mean, we've had Uplay and whatever EA's offering is, I can't even remember, for years. But they always launch day and date with Steam, right? Mm-hmm. So Epic was, um, due to their sort of huge Fortnite uh, largess. Uh, being a bit more ballsy and trying to attract this big player base by not only securing exclusive titles, but also by just giving away games, which is still something they do on a monthly basis, bizarrely. Um, And apparently it's been quite effective. Um, But that's a discussion for another day.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely worked out for them. It works out for the game development studios, too. Uh, You know, where if you're an indie game developer, you might struggle to sell well, you'll struggle to sell a 1,000 copies, much less 10,000. And if Epic comes in and offers you a quarter million or a half million up front for some period of exclusivity, then that makes you more, much more commercially viable.
0: <laughs> There's an interesting... Um leaked document of what was paid for the exclusivity or rather the rights to give away certain games on the epic game store uh, that i want to share with you i can't remember some of the more eye-popping figures but there's some that are very high unexpectedly high and there's some that are remarkably low um so i will i'll send that over to you and if i can find it i'll link it in the show notes but there's definitely some some head-turning numbers in that document both on the high and the low end
1: Ah, sounds interesting looking forward to checking that out But to get back to Outer Wilds, so what do you do in Outer Wilds? Well, you are an alien astronaut working for Alien NASA out to explore the mysteries of the alien universe. Bad news, the sun is about to go supernova. Good news, you're stuck in a Groundhog Day-esque time loop where you replay the last 22 minutes of existence over and over again.
0: Yeah, the goal here is to sort of explore the solar system, learn its history, and solve puzzles by sort of developing an appreciation for the way the systems, planets, and the history all interact uh, over time. It's kind of like uh, people have called it mist in space. I don't even really see it as that because it's much more like clockwork and dynamic than mist ever was.
1: Absolutely. It seems much more of a living universe as opposed to just puzzles for you to solve.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a sort of miniature clockwork universe, and it's fascinating, especially once you it it once you start to sort of see how things happen over time and know what to expect and when, um, it's great. But it's also deeply rooted in sort of a spirit of exploration, um, <laughs> which is kind of the main thing that I think we're going to be talking about is the spirit of exploration, the spirit of seeking out scientific knowledge, the spirit of camping. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, this this game um, definitely had a lot of campfires going on with it. Like, you could um, press Y to roast a marshmallow, you know? That that was an action you could do in the game.
0: Yeah, and if you don't roast a marshmallow in this game, you're kind of a narc, honestly. Like, you, you have to have done that. <laughs> what <laughs> um, are you even doing? Yeah, but I love the design of everything with the Hearthians in this game. Sort of your, your protagonist is a Hearthian. Um, they live on Timber Hearth. And they are basically four-eyed, sort of fish-looking creatures. And their whole thing is sort of camping and exploring. And they have a thirst for for knowledge, but from an exploratory perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And everything is made out of wood. I call the design of this game woodpunk, just sort of. <laughs> <laughs> or, or camping punk. I don't know. Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, tra- trail punk. I don't know. It's, it's awesome. I like trail
1: punk. That, that sounds good.
0: Yeah. And it... It's real fun because you're sort of operating this wooden lunar lander that's uh, basically like a combination of a log cabin and ancient alien technology.
1: (laughs) Very much so. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, steampunk kind of definitely has its roots. You see, technology made with materials you don't normally expect to see. Uh, One of the fun things about that, though, is, um, you know, this game... You drive your spaceship everywhere, and I'm sure you crashed your spaceship into your share of large static objects, um, which causes some damage. And if I'm in some $50 million NASA space shuttle thing, no way i get out there and just patch it together myself. But, you know, it's made of wood, so why not?
0: Yeah, it's funny because navigation in this game is intentionally difficult. Landing is hard. Um, they give you this nice visual indicator of thrust, um, just sort of a little six axis wood pillar made of lights and it, uh, helps, but it also doesn't always help enough when there's an object moving at an equal but opposite force to you and you slam into it with <laughs> the force of a thousand suns and explode. <laughs> there are,
1: I think those were some funny moments like that. Like I maybe had an easier time navigating, Uh, It sounds like you might have, but there were a few times I (laughs) miscalculated and might have slammed into a planet, and it's almost more comical than anything else because, especially early on in the game, there is not much of a time limit. Uh, You're not very well aware of, like, I have to be here at this certain point and then do this certain thing. You're just kind of moseying around.
0: Yeah, the game doesn't a very cool thing with its tutorial, where initially you're not under the 22-minute time limit that you mentioned above, Josh. You're sort of exploring your initial home planet. You're figuring out some of the basic, you know, um, running, jumping, looking. Um, jetpack, probe. Yeah, jetpack, your probe, some anti-grav mechanics, because uh, in a, a brilliant astrophysical uh, application they allow you to go into the core of the hearthian homeworld which is hollow and therefore has zero g at the center of it so you can do sort of a little bit of non-confrontational um, zero g exploration uh, really great tutorial all around it does give you uh, a nice flavor of everything and then the coup de gras at the end of it is the museum which gives you a little bit of flavor from each of the planets just enough to pique your interest and curiosity and then you acquire the launch codes and begin your journey
1: Importantly, in the museum, too, you uh, do two specific things. First, you get the alien translation device, which allows you to um, translate the writings of this ancient civilization that has been in your solar system and has died. And all of your fellow Herthians are like, well, what's going on? This <laughs> translation device is one of the key ways you discover the mysteries of the solar system that you're in and how to navigate around things. The other important thing is when you're leaving the museum, you know, you've seen everything you want, then the statue that's near the beginning opens its eyes, locks on you, and all of a sudden you go through this time loop sort of thing. Um, Or you will eventually, but that triggers the start of the 22 minutes. So this tutorial section, which, by the way, is completely optional. I missed going to the Harthian core, which I kind sure. of want to do now. I want to go back and do that. Um, but you can skip any of that. You can not skip it, and you still get a fresh 22-minute clock at the end of it. So you don't get penalized in any way for doing the tutorial. Thumbs up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to jump in real quick, you mentioned a statue, and I mentioned ancient, ancient alien technology above but um if you haven't picked up on that yet and you haven't played this game what we're referring to is a spacefaring uh previous civilization that has been inhabitants of your solar system called the nomai and they are basically sort of like a precursor race to yours in the solar system um we'll talk a little bit more about sort of their whole story later on but suffice it to say they're much more advanced than the Harthians, and um they have just sort of a wealth of scientific equipment, technology, information waiting for you, especially once you've acquired that translation device that lets you um, look at all of the various messages they were leaving each other over the course of their time existing in the solar system. Mm -hmm. So to that end, once you are able to acquire the launch codes, you have sort of instigated your first contact with the Nomai statue. Um, you take off into space. Um, they set up this initial launch with a conversation with the um, the Harthian that gives you the launch codes. He's wondering, hey, what are you going to do out there? And they give you a few suggestions. Oh, I'm going to go explore... Uh, giant's Deep, uh, and see the giant sea there. I'm going to go to Brittle Hollow and explore the Nomai ruins, or I'm going to go to the Hourglass Twins and see their endless cycle of ebbing and flowing of sand. And there's there's just so much there that's just very evocative. And any of those sound like a good first option.
1: It's really interesting that moment that you're launching. You really don't have any waypoints or objectives in this game. Uh, the developer, uh, Alex Bicham, was, in fact, very much against waypoints. Like he said, that's what he hated the most about the Zelda game Sky- Skyward Sword, uh, was that there was it was telling you where to go and whatnot. And this game was kind of the antithesis of that in that you launch and the... Um, The only indication the game really has to give you of where to go um, is that dialogue, you know, you could choose a dialogue option before. So there's a conversation that kind of tells you these things are out there. Uh, You have a map of the universe which tells you, hey, there's some planets. And you also have a small device, a signal scope, that can kind of hone in on some different um, musical signals or distress calls coming in from different parts of the universe. But the game doesn't really... Tell you, or even particularly, wants you to go to one of these things over the the other. It kind of just opens everything up to you at once and lets you explore them at your own pace.
0: It very much puts its cards on the table at the start and just sort of lets the player have um have their free reign of it. Um, and I think that's part of the central thesis of the game is like let the player's curiosity drive what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I especially agree with the sort of uh, blowback against the over-tutorialization that has come into a lot of games during the Skyward Sword era, Skyward Sword being like the probably highest profile offender of that.
1: You're talking about the design um, goals or design pillars as they're sometimes called. And uh, the developers said there were three biggest ones were curiosity-driven exploration, um, kind of a time interaction across the universe not just where things happen but when they happen across the 22 minutes and space camping so those were the three things they were trying to fit everything in the game under
0: yeah the goal was to make a space game where you're exploring and not conquering and the space changes dramatically over time
1: and that uh curiosity driven exploration i think that's the one they nailed the best because Mm -hmm. what a hell of a universe to explore here like You can go to uh, Brittle Hollow, where there's the hanging city, the ancient Nome city underneath it. You can go to the Hourglass Twins, which are two planets that kind of orbit around each other, where sand just flows back and forth between one to the other. Um, You might look up at a planet, and it has a moon hanging around it. And if you look away and look back again, sometimes it's gone, sometimes it's still there, so you got to keep tabs at it a little more and it's just like all these super imaginative things to go out and explore and try to figure out how they tick.
0: It's definitely a game that has so many ideas that just beg the player to come and, like, try and figure it out. And I think that was the idea. Like, literally any of the planets that you choose to land on first will start you off on a chain of questions that will lead you sort of across the solar system to eventually one of the, like, big three or four questions that this game is asking you to, to figure out the answer to before you, you end it.
1: This was a really cool thing, I think. You go off into space and you say, oh, here's these planets, and... Me being, you know, I've played video games a bunch, I would have thought they would be much more self-contained than they are. Um, However, the... kind of the organizing principle, it's not around, like, these five different planets, or six, or however you want to count them. It's around these four big mysteries that are in the game. And um, these mysteries, you can find clues to them on any different planet. Um, so it's kind of like not organized into planets, but organized into these big questions that Brian brought up. And here's a really cool thing is um, I was mentioning the improv experience of the Heroes guy who was helping out with the studio. They came up with these big questions doing a tabletop dungeon mastering sort of thing uh, around the solar system and trying to come up with good mysteries to solve. So they just kind of, you know, how Dungeons and Dragons go, huge amounts of improv going there, but almost more of a storytelling sort of thing to come up with mysteries and then scatter clues to these mysteries across the solar system.
0: And I really like how they, they did this, but it did definitely sort of rub against the way that I normally approach exploration games in uh, a very unproductive way, at least for me. Uh, Usually I, like, exhaust an area. You know, if I'm thinking about, like, how I play Dark Souls, it's like I go a little bit down one hallway and then double back and make sure there wasn't anything important on the other hallway, and then I finish off the first hallway, and then I double back again and finish off the other hallway. (laughs) You know, like, I, I exhaust an area before I move on, and that was absolutely not the way you want to play this game. You want to follow a hunch Jettison off to the next planet to follow it and just sort of let your curiosity drive you. And the beautiful thing about how they designed this game and all the planets is it was very easy to do that because there's only detail on these planets where there's content. You know, we're talking about exploring a solar system here, and yet somehow you were always able to pretty easily find the thing you were looking for if you were following the directions that were given to you.
1: There's directions given to you in the Know My writing system, which I think is an interesting thing we can. spend a little bit of time on here uh you got the translation device and as you're going through the Nomai my ruins um you see these little squiggles on walls and you can translate the squiggle then more squiggles pop out of it and it's a non-linear writing system like these conversations are branching off of an earlier thing um the writer for the game uh kelsey Beecham, she was talking about how she wanted the Nomai my not to be like ritualistic she wanted them to be more childlike and super curious but also easily distractible and so that shows up in their writing where it's like oh i had a thought over here i'm scribbling off to the side
0: yeah so they're basically add scientists
1: (laughs) the best kind of add scientists
0: basically the description of a toddler but um (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the, the writing thing is really neat. The, the curls off of initial threads and things like that. It reminds me of like a message board or a forum or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the the overriding goal of all of their discussions um, is to find the eye of the universe, which is sort of the first, you know, big question that the game poses towards you is like, all right, they were looking for this. It's obviously super important. Um, they did not get to do that. Most of the Nomai that you, or. Well, All of the Nomai until a certain portion of the game are dead as you encounter them.
1: And the other one's only mostly dead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, true. Five, six dead. Five, six dead. (laughs) Still a chance. Still a chance.
1: This game does a great job storytelling. Um, it's fantastic to have such a compelling story, where if you think about it, there's no conflict, there's no antagonist, there's just mysteries that you're trying to d- dig into. Um, but one of the game things the game does, and I respect it for it, is it never really explicitly tells you what's going on with the Nomai. It leaves you to piece a bunch of things all together. Um, so do you want to kind of go over what you think happened with the nomai
0: yeah sure i i do like this about this game and as you mentioned the writing is great it really does a good job characterizing each of the civilizations the hearthians as their explorers and the nomai as their sort of scholarly but very obsessive selves very well this it this game like at some at some points the writing of the hearthians and the nomai like it almost made it hard for me to believe that there could be a person so earnest about discovery and science. <laughs> um, you know, like in today's day and age, that's just such a refreshing thing to see on the page and a mindset to try and inhabit. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. But to your point, what I think happened to the Nomei, and I think I was able to piece this pretty well together, is I understand it. They followed this this signal they received from the eye of the universe that crucially appeared to be older than the rest of the known universe. So this immediately um, was interesting to them, being the scientists that they are. So they followed the signal very haphazardly without alerting the rest of their nomadic clans. And so this is how they crashed into Dark Bramble and became stranded in the same system that the Harthians now inhabit. Many, many million years before, the Harthians came to be spacefaring.
1: So they crashed into the Dark Bramble, a place where space does not work quite so logically. Uh, They fired three escape pods from their gigantic vessel, uh, and these are signals you can follow with your signal scope later on. Two of them escaped from the Dark Bramble and landed on the Hourglass Twins and Brittle Hollow. Uh, They eventually reconnected later on and kind of rebuilt a civilization, um, and they still wanted to figure out where this Eye of the Universe was coming from what it was doing, they came up with this idea to um, to try to find a way to find the coordinates of the eye of the universe because the eye of the universe is a tricky beast that moves around a lot, especially when you're not looking at it. Uh, so they fired, or they built a gigantic space probe cannon um, that would fire off and just explore a random section of space. Now space is a huge place, this would take a very, very long time, but they figured out some black hole time travel technology where they could create a loop of 22 minutes. Hey, that sounds familiar. Uh, A loop of 22 minutes where at the beginning of the loop, they fire off the space probe cannon. At the end of the loop, they download that data back to the beginning of the loop. The only problem was this required a ton of energy. It required the sun to go supernova.
0: To that end, they designed this place called the Sun Station, which they were hoping to use to cause the sun, around which the Harthians live and depend on for survival, to go supernova. The thing you end up discovering halfway through this... uh, all the way up to that, thinking that they were the ones that eventually caused the exploding of this sun, is that they weren't successful. They weren't successful in causing the sun to go supernova. And so you see that, and what you are living through, the explosion of the sun that you keep experiencing in this loop, is the natural death of your star, your home star. And it's not just your star. It is all of the stars in the galaxy. So you are, throughout the course of your loop, putting together the knowledge that is eventually allowing you to one uncover the coordinates of the eye of the universe two input them into that derelict nomai interstellar vessel and then three warp to the eyes location uh before <laughs> well basically while the sun is going nova so there's there's a lot going on here and basically you are um escaping into this weird quantum space as your universe as you know it is ending
1: mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, it's like, a, you know, like I said before, there's no bad guy here. I mean, the Nomai have some talks to themselves. are like, oh, we might destroy the entire solar system by causing the sun to go supernova. But it turns out they never uh, were able to get that to happen. So this is just happening as things end naturally.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very interesting sort of statement on the inevitability sort of the the end state of the universe and what's going to happen eventually to to all places. Um I guess before we we jump ahead and talk about what happens when you enter there, maybe we should talk a little bit about the universe as it exists because there's so much interesting stuff to explore here.
1: Oh, absolutely. And not to mention, you aren't the only explorer out there. Um, each of these planets, these um, four different major planets, besides the one you start on, uh, have their own space explorer all- already out there. And they are inevitably hanging around a campfire, sitting in a hammock, playing on some bongos, not doing much <laughs> space exploration.
0: Yeah, or a flute or a harmonica, don't forget. <laughs>
1: The one guy's just whistling on the moon. He's like, everybody's forgotten about me. They didn't even tell (laughs) you the space station exists on the moon. Great.
0: And and specifically um, to your earlier point about the signal scope, this is sort of the first thing that drove me into the universe was using my signal scope, looking up at the sky, tuning to the outer wilds. And basically you tune to that and you could see where all of the previous explorers went because you can pick up the signals of their instruments, be it a banjo or a harmonica or what have you. And that sort of would lead you to a little bit of what they've discovered on the planet and then give you some hints about what to look for or anomalies that they can't figure out on the given planet. It was a nice like inbuilt hint system, but also like helped characterize the universe very well.
1: You know, I think it's, Almost goes into sort of a design philosophy, like, they didn't have waypoints or anything. But you pull out your signal scope, and you can be like, Oh, there's a guy over here. There is something over here of interest. I can go there and check it out. And the same way when you approach a planet, like when you approach Brittle Hollow, you can say, Oh, look, there's this gigantic tower, or there's this ice mountain. I'm gonna check that out, because it looks interesting. So it's another way to kind of guide the player's attention and focus towards something.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I do also like the fact that the tools that you're using, like the signal scope, are multi-purpose. Because while you can use, say, um, the signal scope to detect fellow travelers, you can also use it to find sort of quantum weirdness going on in your immediate vicinity. So if there's some sort of quantum situation going on you can detect that with the signal scope too or other signals like you mentioned earlier josh distress signals from the nomai beacons or nomai escape pods so there are all kinds of applications for one signal thing or one single thing Um, your other tool the probe is similar you can use it to light areas but you can also use it to crucially take pictures and while this seems frivolous at first it becomes very important for the quantum mechanics of the game
1: well, not only that, but avoiding the ghost matter that eventually took out all the No My way back when, when the interloper comet first came around, um, but yeah, the uh, the whole quantum mechanics quest I thought was a great a high point maybe of the game. Um, You know, we talked a little bit about about the moon that's sometimes there, sometimes not. It's a little shy. Um, (laughs) The moon inhabits six different locations, one of them being right by the eye of the universe. And there's also kind of these quantum rocks that have broken off from it. Um, And part of the game is figuring out the rules and the mechanics that say how the quantum pieces work. Uh, And once you learn these things, like if you take a picture of a quantum object... It stays put. It gets easier to move things around.
0: Uh, Like you were talking about, Josh, the quantum moon has several interesting rules that go along with it. And this sort of ties into the quantum rules that you learn through that really towering achievement of, like, the the quantum pilgrimage that the Nomai created, which we'll talk about in a minute. But basically, the quantum moon moves around the solar system to those six defined areas you mentioned. And then once you're on it, there's a shrine that moves around the surface of that moon. And the surface of the moon changes depending on which planet it's orbiting. It's all really fascinating, and it sort of plays into the end of the game. But to get there requires you to understand sort of the quantum rules that govern this this solar system, which are similar to, but not quite identical to our our real physical understanding of quantum mechanics.
1: (laughs) It's just one one of the great things that video games can do that, you know, you can't really imagine trying to go through this whole learning system in like a movie or a book. It doesn't work then.
0: Yeah, the the cool thing about this game is it requires you to learn sort of these rules of quantum mechanics, chiefly among which is um, in items, I I guess in in real life, you can't really observe a particle's velocity and position at the same time. Uh, Once you observe one, the other changes, or I think that's something along the lines of how quantum mechanics work. So uh, to that end, you learn... Uh, through the quantum pilgrimage and the towers of quantum knowledge scattered throughout the Outer Wilds galaxy that, one, if you um, take a picture of a quantum object, it is being observed and therefore will stay static as long as that picture remains.
1: The second is that if you are on top of a quantum object that does not get observed so it moves somewhere else, you move with it so that when you turn your flashlight back on, you are now in the new area.
0: And the third is that quantum objects take on the characteristics of the um, location surrounding them. So this all plays into what I just mentioned about the quantum moon. And you use all of that knowledge in order to successfully navigate the quantum moon in what I think is probably the greatest mystery uh, of the game, which leads you eventually to discover your one and only still surviving, quote unquote, Nomai.
1: Hmm. Still surviving because... Uh, She's on the Quantum Moon, uh, in the version of the Quantum Moon that is next to the Eye of the Universe. There are five other locations that the Quantum Moon is still currently on, where she died in those versions uh, when the Ghost Matter explosion took out the Nomai civilization. So she is one-sixth of all that is left of that civilization. (laughs)
0: Yeah. And we, we mentioned this in passing up top, but the interloper, which is a comet that's within this, um, solar system, um, if you navigate into the center of it through a very interesting mechanic involving using the sun's solar position to melt the ice on its surface, you find out that the core of that comet is filled with this, um, material called ghost matter, which is real bad news because it basically will kill everything on the surface of every planet, um, and once there was a collision that scattered this matter throughout the solar system, every Nomai was killed. And the only reason that the Harthians are still around is because at that time, 10 plus million years in the past, they were still fish creatures living in caves under the surface of Timber Hearth.
1: And the ghost matter was not able to penetrate underneath water
0: pretty cool backstory and sort of giving all of this light to all of these questions that you've had throughout the entire time. There's tons of interesting situations like this on all of the other planets throughout the solar system. For instance, uh, even on your initial planet of Timber Hearth, you find a seed from the Dark Bramble. And everyone who understands what the Dark Bramble is immediately recognizes this as being bad news. Because if you go to Dark Bramble, you see that it used to be a planet, but it was exploded by this ever-expanding non-Euclidean seed of space.
1: (laughs) Gotta appreciate some good old non-Euclidean geometries here. Uh, Yeah, the Dark Bramble is an interesting interesting planet to explore. Number one, because it has the only real enemy in the game, the anglerfish, who will um, try to eat you if you fly too close to them and you're firing your rockets still or making noise in some fashion. Um, but also because it's a non-Euclidean space. You go into one room, the room you came and you go back out, you are not in the same place as you used to be. And you have to use the signal scope here to navigate which doorways to
0: go into. And the probe.
1: And the probe, mm-hmm. Yeah, they have a clever way to find the vessel uh, the abandoned vessel that the, the Nomai originally came into the solar system on.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, place where you're following sort of the directions of deceased Nomai, then launching your probe to follow their directions and eventually circling back to track down the signal of your probe. It's it's really interesting. And um, you mentioned those anglerfish, which sort of represent some of the only sort of actively hostile uh, things in the galaxy, you know, aside from space itself, which is pretty... Pretty freaking hostile to human life, as far as uh, we're concerned.
1: I mean, how many times did you (laughs) did you uh, exit your spaceship and forget to put your spacesuit on, and you hear the slow (laughs) uh, uh, of your character gasping for breath?
0: More more than I care to mention. Uh, We'll we'll just leave it at that. You know, I think uh, what the kind
1: of like salt in the wounds there too was. You exit and enter your ship through this kind of like. Warp beam elevator, um, mm-hmm. but it does like um, if you leave your ship, you just stand underneath it and you go back into the ship. But when you leave your ship, it doesn't activate again until you leave that radius. So there's been so many times where I exited the ship and I'm like, "Wait, go back!" But the <laughs> elevator doesn't take me up because I haven't moved far away enough yet.
0: And but once you do, it's all over. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, it, it's funny. I mean, like I said, it's just such an interesting way to work your way around the galaxy, because I can literally think of a connection to one planet from every other planet, and to that end, you mentioned the anglerfish. The other place you see an anglerfish is on the Hourglass Twins, where mm-hmm. in the Sunless City, which is the, settler, or the settlement of the Nomai, on the ember twin you see a cave where they have a fossilized remains of a anglerfish which is where you learn about how to avoid the anglerfish to make your journey through dark bramble
1: yeah this was I loved the way they did these puzzles in this game but there were two puzzles quote unquote that I had to (laughs) figure out online with the help of all of my 10 million friends online Uh, brother. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I didn't realize when they told you the angler fish was blind that that meant don't fire your engines nearby them. Um, and that's how you get by them. I, I wasn't making that connection.
0: Yeah, I think this was one of the more obtuse puzzle solutions that the game presented and i i agree there's a few places near the sort of run up to the end game where you had to sort of intuit some things from what they told you that i didn't quite make the logical leap to and i i totally agree with you there were some points where i just had to look up like what exactly are they asking for here <sighs> um and it's it's a bit of a shame because you know this game has just a beautiful sort of ending and i i do wish it didn't hide its light under such a difficult-to-penetrate bushel.
1: I think part of the thing, too, is as you play more of the game and you get to know it a little better, you move from this pretty free-form exploration to a more objective oriented sort of thing like Mm -hmm. oh i want to make it to the sun station this go around so i have to be at the hourglass twins by this time and then i have to do this to get there um once you kind of know a little bit more of what's going on it's less exploration and more kind of like hardcore puzzle solving and when it's more freeform exploration it's like oh i don't get how to get around the anglerfish I'll just wander around somewhere else right now, and that's fine. There's plenty to go do and see.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, to me, the most enjoyable parts of this game were just continuing to make my way around the solar system and uncover the additional context that this game is setting for what eventually is going to try and tee you up to solving the grand puzzle, which is finding the eye of the universe, basically, and and all that comes in along with it. And I, I definitely, like I said, enjoy the former more than the latter. Mm-hmm. Once it's starting to ask you to accomplish hard tasks, I think that the puzzles are writing checks that the mechanics cannot cash.
1: As possibly. <clears throat> I feel like there, there were two things which I feel weren't adequately signposted puzzle-wise. There was the anglerfish, and there was getting to the inside of the ash twin puzzle. Oh, and the jellyfish. Uh, <laughs> so three things, three things. <laughs> Um, but these are things where I tried to do the intended solution, but it turns out I needed to like shimmy a little bit to the left and I shimmy to the right instead. So, but I didn't even realize that, oh, it was a question of where I was shimmying, not that I was shimmying at all.
0: Yeah. If you under, if you have the right idea, but you can't execute the mechanics correctly, uh, given a couple tries, something is not wrong with your understanding of the puzzle. Something is wrong with the mechanics within which the puzzle is framed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's where I I ultimately ended up running up against that puzzles, writing checks, mechanics, can't cash problem, right? Like, I, I think I understood mostly where I needed to go and what I needed to do, but stringing it all together struck me as starkly discordant with whatever the rest of the game was doing, right? Everything else was about exploration, understanding, and knowledge, and then all of a sudden I was basically being asked to be Indiana Jones, very dexterously jumping from rock to rock or jettisoning myself across a chasm above an exploding sun, and it just seemed like I didn't realize that when I signed up to be a scientist, I was going to have to become Rambo.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, all the other explorers are just sitting around campfires. Somebody's got to do it
0: seriously man like how did my noma or my hearthian get stuck with such a raw deal Uh,
1: now i think that is you know that that's uh fair to talk about that as a strike against the game um like when you're crossing that exploding sun chasm if you fall into the sun if you miss the jump then you have to spend the next 10 to 15 minutes getting back to that point that you were before it's a very long retry loop and yeah, it kind of fits in with the whole of the experience of this whole time loop thing, for better and for worse. But that's definitely a part that's for worse of it.
0: I would totally agree with this. For all of the strengths of this game's use of knowledge, and relying on you know previous loops to help expedite the solving of future puzzles, this is where it basically just punched itself in the dick and like <laughs> overrode that that impulse and sort of made you wait and spend time and you know this is a beautiful universe to spend time in right like you can always just look at the sun rotating around the stars and you know it's not a totally unpleasant experience but it is time and I have limited amount of time in my day and I appreciate games that respect my time and Hmm. there were just some points at the end of the game that this did not do that.
1: On the other side of that equation, though, you say knowledge as experience, but I'll go a step farther and say knowledge as progression here. Um, there are no equipment upgrades. There's no, like, leveling up at any point. I'm sure people have done speed runs for this game, but I feel like I could clock a pretty decent one myself. Just because once you know what you're supposed to do, you can do that from the get-go, and you do. like. That time loop resets, and you are back there at the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This game has no upgrades, no sort of unlocks, no no anything really for you to gain except knowledge. And there are a few, like, mechanical knowledge gains that you get, such as, like, the coordinates uh, of the Eye of the Universe and the launch codes at the very start of the game. But that's really about it. And one remarkable thing that this game has to portray that knowledge is its rumor system AI in the ship's computer, which I love. It looks like a fucking conspiracy board wall, and it's so <laughs> fun to like look at.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like the map of the country with the strings going from places to places. Uh, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, the developers were actually saying this was kind of like an insight they stumbled into because before this, players were wandering around a little directionless, like they were hanging out more in the village than they were going out and exploring necessarily because they didn't really have anything going through there whereas you got this rumor and info system going on there with these strings connecting different events and different writings of the nomai that you found um and it'll tell you like oh there's more to explore in the sunless city uh when you hover over that entry if you haven't found all the vital information yet so it also kind of keys you oh there's you're not done with this area yet.
0: Mm-hmm. I do like that they mark with a little orange dot, there's more to discover here. And mm-hmm. that that was always helpful to me. Sometimes it was a little misleading because there was more to discover there, but it required me to discover something else, somewhere else first. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, it's such an open game. You can't always sort of account for all of those out-of-order things. Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is. And... Eventually, you get there or you get sick of trying to get there and you look it up online.
1: One thing I want to talk about uh, that I thought was really cool about the game was the spaceship and jetpack propulsion systems. Um, you and I think of a spaceship and you think of like 15 tons of engines on the back end. It's going one way because we've got a rocket ship or maybe you got some <laughs> angular boosters over here. Um, the ship and also your jetpack have engines in every single direction, which makes it super easy for um, the ship to do like an autopilot course to any planet or to match velocity with any object. Because it's not like it, can, it goes forward better than it goes backwards. It goes any direction. doesn't matter where you're facing. The engines do their job just the same.
0: Yeah, I mentioned this up top that, you know, every spherical body in this game is modeled accurately from a physics perspective, so that means there's gravitational forces acting on you from a, you know an orbital body's perspective at all times. So there's gravity pulling you towards the center, there's the inherent velocity of your craft pulling you in a specific direction, um, and the game gives you some very specific tools, like Josh said, to deal with this. Um, autopilot to basically match velocity with a planet and accelerate towards it and the match velocity tool in general which allows you to sort of pick an object in space click on it and then you will become basically co-orbital with it so Mm -hmm. you can um you can basically be moving at it at the same rate treating it as a static object from your perspective and just moving towards it away from it etc
1: Which is fantastic, because I'm terrible at orbital mechanics, but I can, like, walk through a door, you know? The door doesn't move left and right at different rates than I do. Oh, one interesting thing that you mentioned about the physics system having, like, gravity affecting everything. uh, They signpost this and other interesting and unexpected mechanics in the museum at the beginning of the game. Um, In the museum, one of the first things you see is a flat table that has a couple of marbles rolling around on it. And it's saying, oh, yeah, these marbles, you know, this table's flat, but these marbles are just moving because the moon's gravity is affecting them as it's moving around in orbit. I thought that was a really clever way to kind of like let you know, hey, gravity is a thing in this.
0: Yeah, and it's way more pronounced than it is on Earth, right? Like there are... Um, You can go to a science center here in uh, (laughs) the American Midwest and see the effects of the moon on a large steel ball hanging suspended from the ceiling, Um, but this game makes it as apparent as balls rolling around in a a bowl, and it really does sort of serve to highlight that there are going to be forces acting on you at all time in this game, and everything is modeled constantly. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. really one of the most interesting technical marvels of this game, and I think probably one of the reasons that it won so many awards for design. Um, It's just a gigantic, huge physics engine.
1: (laughs) And you think about it, too. Like, you get into that spaceship. There's no loading screens. Uh, You don't have to pause as it's like, oh, now you're entering the atmosphere of Giant's Deep, so let's... um, throw up a loading screen it's all seamless as you travel from one planet to the next
0: yeah it reminds me a lot of no man's sky except it's much more concerned with constantly modeling one specific system rather than continually modeling a series right this is basically exploration is ever onward versus exploration as understanding a specific area in a space and time
1: Mm -hmm. no i'm interested in trying out no man's sky future cast material
0: totally there's there's a lot to like there and i've played a bunch of it i'd be happy to to talk about it more and and i'd be happy to revisit it honestly
1: one great thing about this game i think was the music um you had the major theme being played by all of your fellow space explorers Uh, in their own different parts. Um, And it all comes together in the end in a dramatic way. But I feel like the music in this game was an understated but important element of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You hear that main theme right when you boot it up. And I've been humming it to myself for the past several weeks as I've been playing through this game. (laughs) And um, you, you hear it both when you start the game up and when you finish it. It's a you know simple bluegrass tune. It's sweet, it's earnest. It's primarily banjo driven. It is the, at least in game flute, drums, piano and whistling as well. And it does a really great job of sort of underlining the fact that not only are these Hearthians explorers, but they're also just sort of like creative hippie types, right? Like they're interested in just exploration and experiencing life. And I think this game's music really served not only to underscore that, but also it was a force that drove you onward, right? You pull out the signal scope, you find that banjo playing on that planet, and you drive towards it because you want to figure out who's playing that banjo. Uh, Um, This game did a great job with its music. It was not only fun to listen to, but it served an important mechanical function as well.
1: And also kind of thematic. Like, they talk about how space camping is one of the design pillars of the game, uh, you know it wasn't something I felt hugely during the game but when you ran across another space explorer from Outer Wilds they were hanging around a campfire just chilling and just kind of reminding you to soak everything in.
0: Yeah I imagine it's like how the Russian and American astronauts felt when they greeted each other in the International Space Station right like they're coming from very different places but they're still both astronauts they're some Mm -hmm. of the few people in the world that can relate to each other on one specific wavelength Uh, and for that reason they will always be connected um Mm -hmm. and i think there's a a story of um, a certain cosmonaut and astronaut like becoming very good friends back on earth and if i can find that story i'll I'll link to it and if not i'll cut this out (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. but um to that end i thought that this game's music served to underlie the fact that the music, the writing, and everything just underscores that this game loves space exploration, not for the purpose of conquest or exploitation, but it's here for the first X of the 4X alone, right? Mm -hmm. It treats space like a trip to a national park. Take only pictures, leave only footprints.
1: Absolutely. Um, Definitely a game that has a lot of respect for exploration as a verb. Um, It tries to reward that as much as possible, uh, and it backs up what it promises in terms of finding natural and alien wonders along the way.
0: So with that, do you want to talk about how this game wrapped up and, and delivered on that message?
1: Yeah, so the space explorers were all connected to each other through the song they all share with each other, and this comes together in a dramatic fashion at the end of the game. Uh, to get to the end, you first have to remove the warp core that's powering the whole time loop. Once you figure out how to do that, and then go to the middle of the dark bramble, dangerous as it is, get to the alien vessel, and create a black hole warp to, that takes you to the eye of the universe once you discover its coordinates
0: yeah and it's it's worth mentioning that uh, this is where i encountered the most friction of the game i wasn't super interested to keep booting it up after a while just Mm -hmm. because some of the mechanical puzzles and um i guess for lack of a better word platforming that they ask you to do rub me the wrong way but I will say that I'm really glad I pushed through thanks to your help, (laughs) Josh, (laughs) because upon entering the Eye of the Universe, the player encounters just the most fascinating thing I think I've ever seen in the ending of a game. Basically, you encounter quantum versions of various characters you've befriended in your travels, um, including all the travelers you've encountered along the way, as well as uh, the one Nomai semi-survivor, and you slowly work to... Um, I, I guess uh, gather all of those folks up. Initially you arrive in a black void mm-hmm. and you're all alone and the first thing you encounter is yourself.
1: You hear from the No Nomai um, that they theorized that if a conscious observer were to enter the eye of the universe anything could happen and that anything is key once the rest of the universe has died. Um, so kind of my headcanon for this is that you get everybody together and they play the song that starts the new universe
0: yeah so this is very beautifully illustrated by how they they put everything together in that end scene eventually you enter it you see the lights go out and then suddenly you're the only thing in the universe you look down and you see lights and the lights are basically uh, the lights of um,
1: supernovas
0: you know, light, uh, it, it's fireflies in a forest, though, right? Because then you go down and you're walking around. You encounter yourself as sort of a, a ghost, and then that disappears. But then you pull out your signal scope and you see one of your companions, and then another, and then another, and then another. And you continually gather them with sort of light puzzling mechanics in between. and eventually, Light puzzles
1: that recall the environments and planets that you found each of these companions on.
0: Correct. A musical
1: reprise, if you will.
0: Absolutely. So you're slowly building this musical reprise. And the the final one is uh, you encountering the Nomai um, explorer that you encountered. And they use the principles of the quantum mechanics to slowly show one Nomai on top of another Nomai on top of another Nomai in sort of a human ladder, reaching towards what eventually becomes a Nomai shuttle and blasting off into space. This is really beautiful but at the end of the universe it just shows um it shows that standing on the shoulders of giants that these people accomplished scientific progress right i thought that was a very poignant ending note
1: Mm -hmm. yeah you know we don't get anywhere in a vacuum we don't get anywhere on our own but it's only by working together that we can achieve anything of note
0: yeah i thought this was just such a, a really nice tribute to scientific progress and and how it comes to be um you know, <laughs> there's so many, so many games that are trying to make this message, but no one exists in a vacuum, as you said, and, and you need to rely on your fellow human, whether it's uh, a person in your current environment, your society, your neighborhood, or um, the knowledge of your predecessors.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it was a fantastic ending, and then after all of that is over with, uh, you see. Uh, the new planets in the new universe that you have created. And I think it's implied that you've chosen to create.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the travelers that you've gathered together play their song, they create the new universe. And then 14.3 billion years later, you see um, a new civilization standing around a campfire playing their own music.
1: Oh, and a fun little Easter egg there is when you're exploring the eye of the universe, uh, there's a quantum storm at the south pole of whatever planet you're on. And if you lose your space probe in that, uh, 14.3 billion years later, you see it orbiting the campfire forest area. (laughs)
0: I love that. I mean, it makes sense. (laughs) Uh, They thought of everything. This is one of those devs think of everything situations. I like Mm. it. Uh, With that, now that the universe has ended and we have begun the next phase of existence, let's sum up our thoughts with a three-word review. My three-word review is The Big Question. The Outer Wilds concerns itself at least primarily with the big questions about science, the pursuit of knowledge, and the end of the universe. And, of course, about where the Harthians are getting all of those marshmallows. <laughs> I found it beautiful that, like the Nomai during the game's ending, who are standing on the shoulders of their deceased comrades, you're required to rely on the knowledge gained through the experience of deceased predecessors, including yourself. It's my opinion that this game uses this to say that while it's important to consider the future as the Prussian Nomai had, it's also important to make use of the time given to you even if you can't change the world or system you live in immediately. The biggest question this game left me with is, what are you doing with the time given to you?
1: Oh, that's touching.
0: Thank you. You're up.
1: All right. My three-word review for this game is Wander the Yonder. Many games take on exploration as a theme or mechanic, but few do so as memorably as Outer Wilds. After a quick village section to set the stage, you are given rocket launch codes and zero directions. There's no objective, no call to action, no hero's quest presented to you on a silver platter. Instead, you wander the solar system going wherever your curiosity leads you. The game is packed with fantastical planets to visit and mysteries to solve. The imaginative environments feel like a sci-fi 1001 Nights where anything could happen And that possibility drives you forward. Outer Wilds is remarkable for many things. The scale of the physics system, a compelling story without conflict or antagonist, and the way the time loop is woven into the narrative and game mechanics. But to me, the true achievement of the game lies in the feeling you get when you first explore the galaxy adrift, bereft of companion or mission beyond your own whims.
0: It's a beautiful experience for sure.
1: A beautiful experience, I think, would be a great joint three-word review.
0: Yeah, that is true. It is a beautiful experience, and we can both agree on that. And with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then sharing it with folks you think might enjoy it as well is the best thing you can do. Feel free to drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Galecki.
0: Take care and keep on exploring.
1: keep on accidentally crashing your ship into giant planets.
0: Alright, I have something to say about that. I didn't...
1: <laughs> before before you do, you were talking about large objects rushing towards you. Was it the Hourglass Twins?
0: <laughs> I mean... Hourglass Twins, or um, I always got impatient in the travel far away to Dark Bramble because it was always seemingly on the opposite side of the solar system to me, and I would turn off the autopilot a bit too early, and instead of navigating into Outer Bramble, I navigated into the side of it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or sorry, Dark Bramble. Yeah, so not great, not great. Um, but yeah, I, I have a, a confession. I, I'm not the best pilot or the most talented explorer. So the first few times that I restarted the, at the campfire, it was not because of the exploding sun. It was uh, probably due to a high speed impact or burns or electrification or asphyxiation or a marooning of myself on a planet accidentally, or my organs getting punctured or being eaten or running out of air.
1: Uh, now there's there's been a fair few deaths that I've had in this too uh, interesting that the developers were thinking of doing a roguelike for a while where you'd have loadouts and builds and kind of <laughs> more run based gameplay but they decided to work in the, permade- or the uh, time loop as a mechanic narratively instead um, a roguelike
0: but... in this style would kick ass
1: <laughs> I think it sure could Uh, But it would be a different game, too, you know?
0: Sure. So I was watching the Noclip documentary about this game, and I thought it was really interesting how um, the artist, uh, the lead artist of the game, came up with the inspirations for each of the planets. And apparently it was the Sequoia and Redwood National Parks with a sprinkling of Rainier National Park. And uh, Timberhearts is the basalt rocks of Iceland and Greenland. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. alongside that, uh, Giant Steep was basically like a green and stormy version of the Santa Monica beach cliffs. Huh? Yeah.
1: wonder if they have all those, uh, tornadoes there too.
0: <laughs> I mean, hopefully not, but hey, you know, climate future, we'll see. Hmm. Um, yeah. And of course, Dark Bramble is, um, in Smith, you know, some sort of non-Euclidean space. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's interesting to hear where the inspiration for these different things came from.
0: Yeah, the, the artist of, uh, of the game, I had his name written down here somewhere, but um, he grew up in Southern California in like a commune or something like that. And he um, moved around a lot and lived in parks for a little bit with his parents. And yeah, that's how he got exposed to all of those places. And they inspired his design, which I thought was neat.
1: Well, that's cool. and You know, your life experiences inform your game design, especially one where you have a love of exploration as much as these guys clearly did.
0: Yeah, and I love how an entire solar system could be inspired by the geography of just one state.
1: (laughs) Plus Greenland.
0: Yeah, have you ever seen the map of California as it maps to which countries should be portrayed in which locales of California?
1: no but i believe that exists i want to see that. yeah in the,
0: link, in the early link, like nine ni- yeah I, I will try and find this but there's an early like i don't know or er- uh, first half of the 20th century map where um, they basically say like hey if you want switzerland go to this part of california if you want tuscany hmm. go to this part of california if you want uh, the sahara go over here you know and it's all within like a 200 mile radius of hollywood which is pretty of course it's with <laughs> yeah i'll see if i can find that but um i feel like you know this this game had a lot of that going on